the space cave the number one podcast in the whole world and a reminder before we dive right into it that the junk show is back august 12th if you like variety shows and pupusas well great news at 8 p.m at the copper still on beverly boulevard you can get all of those things okay this is a it has all the ingredients delicious beer fantastic guest I hope you enjoy it. Here's part one with Myrene Belisi. Okay, we're doing it. Myrene Belisi. And your name is an interesting... Oh, first of all, I'm going to... Man, I should grab that later. That's a real good sound drop (laughs) of this... The Ohana Saison Noir, Mm. which is a Belgian-style ale. And I started reading this to you before Mm -hmm. because I at least had some hesitation... Because it says, black saisons can be intimidating, for they are dark in color and uncommon, but don't let its appearance fool you. Ohana Saison Noir is bursting with fruity esters, banana and clove notes. Oh, banana and clove notes balance the light roasted malt finish. This beer is a silver, silver award winner in the 2014 World Beer Cup. So we might be in for a real treat here. Yeah, it sounds and, amazing. And then it's handwritten on here, August 2016. Wow. So I don't know if this is too old. Maybe it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Um, Maybe it's like wine, like, you know, age matters. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. And if I'm honest, the dark color is intimidating me. Yeah. Straight I mean, out. The bottle, too, is dark colored. The label is dark colored. It's like black label everything. Yeah. Oh, and if you want to pour it in front of the microphone and get some sound, feel free. Oh. Ooh, nice. Okay, that's... Oops. That's a, that's a bit much. I got <laughs> carried away with the sound of it. That's a really foamy beer. It'll yep. be interesting to see how it shakes out from there. But mm-hmm. I'm excited about this. And I'm glad you Me wanted um, what I would say is an atypical request. Oh. And I like that. A lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, IPAs are very popular. Oh, yeah. And um, a variety of other things. But, but man, the IPAs really get requested a lot, which I'm fine with. I like mm-hmm. them. But I mm-hmm. I do think it's, uh, it's just interesting when someone requests something mm-hmm. that's out of the norm. So why a Saison? It's just what I think of when I think of a summer beer. Mm-hmm. I think of that and, you know, pale stuff. Although this this particular Saison is not pale. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited to try it anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, um, I don't know if this particular one will be as sour as some of the Saisons I've tried. But yeah, something about sourness and lightness just reminds me of summer. Oh, Nice. Well, I hope that's the case. It it seems a, like a perfect description or an apt description that it is like light and crisp and mm-hmm. it never jumps on my radar, I guess. I hate when people say that term. <laughs> I shouldn't say I hate it. People say that too much. I, get the people, I hate when people say, just let people say stuff. But but I do think that happens quite a bit where someone goes, ooh, I want this. And then it go, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, maybe a Pilsner or uh, a Blondale. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. light and crisp and refreshing, mm-hmm. but... The hidden gem that's just waiting there all the time, mm-hmm. the Saison. Mm-hmm. Good, crisp summer beer. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Myrene Belisi. Oh, the name story that I was going to tell before we get going, yeah. as I've dragged along here, is that uh, Rachel Chalk, our mutual friend, mm-hmm. put us in touch. And for whatever reason, when I read the email, somehow or another, <laughs> I and I don't feel like I was just skimming it, but I really either superimposed or just misread and assumed that your last name was your first name. So then I responded, <laughs> like, hey, Belize, would love to have you on the show. And you were very gracious in your reply. You didn't even acknowledge that. And then I, when I saw the reply, then I looked and was like, oh, I chose the wrong name. And that's the most cavalier sort of like, hi, my name is whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve Jones and I go hey Jones would love to have you on the show that's what it felt like to me it felt ridiculous so <laughs> yeah I am yeah so my first name is um it's Irish and I am not an Irish person so <laughs> um that's yeah that's the story behind my first name and so um I think I'm just used to like people you know <laughs> saying maybe my name incorrectly or whatever and it's fine like i'm just used to it yeah um so i think that's why it you know it didn't even really register to me that you used my last name <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's a true irish pronunciation of my name is maureen maureen okay yeah but my parents are not irish and so they um, pronounce it myreen my and why did they choose it just said like it from a book or yeah. did they know someone really yeah, my mom had a baby book and wow. yeah she wanted to name me something associated with you know like the virgin mary <laughs> so <laughs> so chose this um yeah not just mary but like um a more you know rare at least to her mm-hmm. um version of mary yeah, mm-hmm. and really does make a dramatic difference. Maureen, you think mm-hmm. she owns a few cats. I mean, right. not to disparage Maureen's of the world, <laughs> but they're the sweetest. They've definitely thought of something extra when you leave their house. Oh, take this with you. Mm-hmm. Maureen's mm-hmm. very sweet and yeah, kind Maureen's in my mind. Maureen's very thoughtful. But Maureen, yeah. it has such a cool ring to it. It sounds oh, a little bit you. more exotic. It's cool. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to butter you up. I just, oh, yeah. phonetically, when I hear it, I think, oh, yeah, that is a, if I were given the choice, you know, some words just roll off the tongue a little better. Like, I don't mm. like the word asterisk. Oh, it, asterisk. Just, yeah. It, people huh. used to say asterisks because, like, switching them oh, around there, mm-hmm. the asterisk, it's too, it's too, it asks too much of my tongue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, whereas myrene is just nice mm-hmm. and it's that. It's great. Yeah, thank you. So anyway, I'll be calling you Belisi. Surprise, I have seven cats. Just kidding, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I do not have pets, Your sadly. specialty is more so in dogs, in mm-hmm. your thesis. And mm-hmm. I, we touched on it very briefly, like your, yeah. what you study. And I remember you mm-hmm. mentioning petrified or fossilized dog poop. Yes. And I was like, I'm sold. Yes. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah. And how, I just mm-hmm. like when people, you know, you're a kid and maybe you're smashing trucks into each other mm-hmm. or you're, you have a, a dollhouse or anywhere in between, just whatever you're doing. And then very rare is the kid that goes like, eh, I found something in the sandbox over here. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated with it. This is going to be my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was just reading this article the other day, um, I think it was on NPR, and it was a story about um, uh, the Jurassic Park generation of paleontologists. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to be honest, I don't think, like, I saw Jurassic Park relatively late, so I don't think it really played a role in my early, you know, interest in fossils, but 
definitely since then, it's been great, you know, seeing other people like non-scientists interested in my work because they saw Jurassic Park and, you know, that movie and the continuing <laughs> movies definitely play a role in do people always um, believe you i bet there's a bit of skepticism because just seemingly like from your age they're like yeah right mm-hmm. like you you have a t-shirt somewhere you must have grown up loving right. it." right yeah yeah um i do not have a t-shirt somewhere um <laughs> yeah i don't it doesn't really come up that people are like oh yeah i bet you watched you know you watched jurassic park and loved it as a, as a kid um yeah so people don't typically that doesn't typically come up what was it but, in particular? For me, weirdly, mm-hmm. I'm sure Jurassic Park factored in it, but I think I mm-hmm. liked it prior to that. I already liked dinosaurs, and right. I really liked the far side. Like, even oh, though yeah, the scientists were yeah. such geeks in it, uh-huh. I always thought, like, that seems really fun. Yeah, scientists love the far side, or at least, you know, my college professors did. Like, they would have, um, oh, uh, fun story. So I moved into my new office at the La Brea Tar Pits a couple of weeks ago. And I opened Where my... Where you're newly gamefully employed. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And I opened my new desk drawer, and there was still some stuff in it, including a newspaper clipping of a Far Side comic. Whoa, old yeah, school. From, like an actual cutout. Mm-hmm, yeah, from the previous, you know, owner of the of that office. Do you think they were leaving it as like a, please, this I is would, a rite of passage. Please yeah, hang this back up. Yeah, I would like to think that. Do you know what the comic was? Um, it was something about, shoot, it was something about, um, the water to land transition. Oh, the baseball probably. Um, Where the fish are sitting there like looking out and it's it's great moments in evolution. Oh no, it's not that one. It's not that one. I don't remember the details of this one, but it was just like this big, I don't remember what the, you know, commentary on it was or the, um, yeah, what, what was in the bubble, Mm -hmm. but it was just this massive, like, you know, thing, like a bubble looking fish thing coming out of the water that's all i I can remember but it's still there it's still there so what if it wasn't the far side which was obviously my guess and it wasn't jurassic Mm -hmm. park which is what people assume Mm -hmm. what was it exactly um for me i think it was national geographic oh the hidden dark horse that of course that would be (laughs) yeah yeah so um my grandpa had a subscription to national geographic and um so uh Okay, a bit of a backstory about me, I guess. I um, I was born and grew up in the Philippines, and I think that might have been partly why I didn't get much exposure to Jurassic Park when I was a kid. I'm sure it got shown over there, um, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, I didn't see it. But then my grandpa, who was over here, um, he had a National Geographic subscription, and so every time he came home to the Philippines... Um, he would, you know, bring home like boxes of his Natural Geographic and I would just like sit on the floor with them scattered around me and just leaf through them. Cool. Yeah, and it was great because, you know, they were just such nice magazines, like really glossy, nice paper and all that. And I still have them. Like he left me his magazines when he passed away and I still have those somewhere in my dad's place. Ah, that's the best. Yeah. I used to go to my uncle's and do the do the same thing. I would pull them out and look through National Geographic. Yeah. And then maybe when I was like... Somewhere between maybe 11 and 13, he mm-hmm. got me, I want to say a lifetime subscription, wow. which ended up not being, oh. but because on my part, because uh-huh. I, when I was at his house, thrilled to look through National Geographic when I got them sent to my house. And this continues today. Mm. I still get it. And I flipped through it a little bit, but I just don't, I feel 
like I have to complete the whole thing. Yeah. So if I pick it up and just read a little, which is what a magazine's for. I don't know where mm. this block comes from. Right. But I love it just if I'm, if I see it in a waiting room, mm-hmm. can't, can't take it away from me. Mm-hmm. But it comes to my house and I go, I'll get to that later. Yeah. It's, that's bizarre to me. Huh. But anyway, I love mm-hmm. National Geographic. Yeah. And we have that in common. Yay! And then you were seeing people just the exotic nature of them traveling around the world mm-hmm. or specifically like archaeology, mm-hmm. paleontology, things like that. Yeah, I actually, I think it was more the archaeology stuff that I read about more. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got to college is when I started getting into paleontology because um, so in college I kind of switched around a bit. Um, I... Uh, was a molecular and cell biology major for a while, and then that wow. wasn't working out. So I just I decided to become a comparative literature major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, screw this bio stuff. And then, but then you know, I was like, well, I should still try, you know, try to make biology work for whatever reason. And so um, I went back to another sort of biology major. Um, it's called integrative biology. And that was more like organism level. Um, and so, yeah, I started meeting the professors who whose work was the sort of work that got featured in National Geographic, but they were paleontologists. And so uh, one of them worked on dinosaurs and specifically like dinosaur locomotion, um, which I didn't uh, I didn't get into. Like I didn't get into studying that, but that was really cool. Um, and the other one um, relates to what I'm studying now. Um, he... Uh, yeah, he's very big on um, on mammals, fossil mammals. And so, yeah, people are always like, oh, paleontology, cool, dinosaurs. And I'm always like, mammals, <laughs> mammals, we're fossils too. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, it was a combination. Me becoming a paleontologist today was a combination of um, National Geographic when I was a kid, thanks to my grandpa. And then, you know, meeting people in college who... Who became my mentors? Yeah, yeah. I have so many questions just involving every step along the way, but I mm-hmm. really can't stop thinking about dinosaur locomotion and picturing them just playing with train sets, mm-hmm. and that you would find a fossil dig and just be like, "Well, here, this is where they were all sitting, and this is where the." <laughs> That's really stupid. But <laughs> I, I like the dinosaur just sitting there. <laughs> That would be pretty funny and epic. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, they what, found out they had toys. Right. Which dinosaur are you thinking of? Like something like... I like to picture T-Rex, but he's only like oh. eight feet tall. So when he sits there, it's yeah. kind of cartoonish. Yeah. And also tiny arms. Yeah. So. Even the, just <laughs> reaching down to like, ah, my caboose yep. fell over. Oh, it's no. Just <laughs> oh, no. Poor T-Rex. Yeah, and he gets up and his tail's thrashing <laughs> over everything. and <laughs> Oh, this clumsy little T-Rex guy. Mm-hmm. Those make me laugh, um, and I I always feel like, the, and I would assume you guys all have a good sense of humor about stuff. Where like from the outside, mm-hmm. when you joke around scientists, people go, "This is why I can never lead a museum tour," or "This is why <laughs> I can't stand to sit and meet some idiot at a at oh, a man. hotel lounge or something." Like, <laughs> oh, they're gonna ask the dumbest questions, but. I do like with scientists where sometimes it seems like from the time I was a little kid, I wanted to study rockets and then become a <laughs> rocket person. But largely, it's very common people switch majors. Mm-hmm. And for me, it, it I don't know, it's, 
eye-opening just in that everyone's and no one knows exactly what they want to do mm-hmm. in life and you just yeah. kind of keep going toward these things You're like yeah well i guess comparative literature good mm-hmm. but i'm being drawn a little more toward this mm-hmm. and next thing you know you have a phd which is like sort of right. a stamp of this is what you do now <laughs> yeah yeah phd kind of means like this is you know you're specialized now <laughs> you kind yeah. of have to try to keep going <laughs> yeah but but and this is just for you know the phd people out there who might still not be sure that they're where they're supposed to be. (laughs) I think that having a PhD does equip a person for a lot of different um, fields, still not just the field that they're in. So, (laughs) Yeah, I think that's um, well worth saying. And was it was it a big deal for you to be done just to prove to yourself that like you could accomplish it, follow through with it, finish it? And on top of that, was there a feeling of like, this is a PhD. Every word I write has to be perfect. Everything mm-hmm. I do has to be perfect. Or were you kind of like, oh, this is just life. I'm going to do my best, but mm-hmm. m- might not have the best thesis or dissertation, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do my best. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. For me, I think it was more me who was like, everything has to be perfect. And that's what I've heard too from a lot of, you know, people and um, whom Rachel and I know. Um, oh, it has to be perfect. But then it's people who, it, um, it tends to be people on the outside, like my advisor or, or, you know, or my friends or whoever who are like, a a good thesis is a done thesis. Just finish (laughs) it. Just pH finish it. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a mix of both. And um, just because it's submitted now doesn't mean that it's over. I still have to like keep working on it, prepare it for publication and whatnot. Um, So uh, a third of it is now published. And so I'm going to continue working on the two thirds of it that cool are not yet yeah. that's so i mean the only thing i can draw toward with that on any level of comparison is stand-up in that mm-hmm. you see your friends working on things or you, you see them maybe from time you know here and there at a show or in the clubs and then you know someone's maybe recording an album and that's maybe the equivalent of like okay they're compiling all of their work their research essentially mm-hmm. they're going to archive it mm-hmm. uh and then you know some come out and they go on to grade a you know acclaim mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. others just sort of exist mm-hmm. and the, the thing is just having it having it yeah. done like oh i did this i'll maybe yeah. i'll get better on the next one mm-hmm. but you don't get to go back and revisit it and right. tweak it which is maybe yeah. a different thing so you can mm-hmm. if you wanted to could you go and pull all the guts out of it and change it a bunch or you can just kind of fine-tune it Yeah, I think at this point, it's mostly fine-tuning it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did, before my dissertation, I did do a master's thesis as well. And that one remains unpublished. And, you know, um, I completed that in 2011. Now it's a a while later. (laughs) And um, I don't, that one, um, I should have continued working on. But, you know, it's just tough to continue working on that when you're supposed to be starting working on this other thing. And so, um, yeah, and then there's been like technological advancements since then. And so I don't think my master's thesis will be published, but... Ah, is, um, that, is that a bad feeling? I think I've made peace with it. But yeah. That's such a... Yeah, I guess time will do that. Where you're yeah. like, oh, I've, luckily I've found mm-hmm. new things to mm-hmm, chew on. Mm-hmm. But if that was your only thing you were constantly right, thinking about... and Right, yeah. Uh, is it tough not to, to put... Um, your, not to say your own self-worth, but like little bits of, mm-hmm. oh, I need these accreditations to make me feel like this is worthwhile. Yeah. Getting published is really going to make it feel mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, good. All that time, mm-hmm. the lack of sleep, worth it. Right. Yeah, it still feels good um, when something gets published, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely met, you know, fellow scientists who are like, uh, these reviews keep coming back and they're, you know, 
Reviewer number three. There, there are typically three reviewers. <laughs> Always reviewer number three. Really? Um, yeah. But yeah. So in the process of you know peer review, like it might start getting or feeling like, oh, it's this is a bigger pain than it is a a good thing. But um, yeah, I, I'm still a believer in the peer review process, and um, yeah, it still feels good for me when I pass that process. And you know, I I have not had a paper that hasn't. Come back like without comments, you know. So, yeah. but yeah, it just strengthens my belief in the process that it comes back with comments. Yeah, I mean that's science, right? right. Yeah, yeah. I've mm-hmm. been reading a bunch about uh, neuroplasticity, and mm. everyone on the forefront of that was laughed mm-hmm. at, turned away, dismissed oh, wow. for years and years. Yeah. Even in spite of like overwhelming, like, no, look, there's proof. Uh, this isn't yeah. just mumbo jumbo. There's mm-hmm. like tangible data. Mm-hmm. And they'd still go, ah, you know, you can't. Yeah. And so. 2011, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So where where did you do your undergrad? Um, I went to undergrad at UC Berkeley in the Bay Area, and then um, did my master's at University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my two years in the Midwest, <laughs> and you know, winter. <laughs> and then I came back here for my PhD. Cool. Uh, at Similar UCLA. colors, so you like? Yep, <laughs> exactly. All blue and gold, or some variation of. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and then yep. where did you do your PhD? Um, at UCLA. Yeah, at UCLA. That's where you know yeah. Rachel from. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep, so. Yep. 2011, you're kind of okay. Well, maybe the, mm. maybe they'll publish that. I'm moving on, yeah. and then mm. the PhD program has really been from then until now. Yes. Wow, that's lengthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. P- oh, hi. <laughs> a PhD takes, uh, you know, it's a big commitment. That's part of why I did a master's first, um, because I was just like, I'm not sure. You know, I'm fresh out of undergrad. I'm not sure if. Like, I hear that a PhD takes a while. And so, yeah, and it did take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I get a little bit... I think when you're growing up, you hear, like, that's mm-hmm. 10 years of your life. Right. But then I get a little bit off base from time to time because people will come in and like, oh, I breezed through my PhD program in three or four yeah. years. So oh, then I yeah. start thinking, like, oh, it's it's not as big of a commitment as mm-hmm. it used to be. But mm-hmm. nearly a decade. Yeah. Whew, yeah. I how think do you it, trudge through it? Right. Yeah. I think it really depends on the program. And sometimes I wonder if I did my PhD elsewhere, not Los Angeles. I wonder if I could have done it faster (laughs) because Los Angeles has so much in terms of you know culture and things to do Mm -hmm. Um, but you know I don't regret it one bit um, doing it here does Um, it I mean to the outside or to your community to your mm -hmm, peers do they go you did UCLA that's that's a really really prestigious one yeah I think there is still some of that like um, you know I, I there are some moments when I'm at a conference or at a workshop or something and and you know meeting people and they're like oh where are you from or where are you where are you completing where are you doing your PhD right now and I'm like UCLA and sometimes there's still that reaction of whoa cool <laughs> um, but for the most part like everyone is just like okay cool like you know, we're all equal here. We're all doing a PhD or just got our PhD or whatever. Yeah, no one's yeah. going to show up and like, oh, I knocked mine out in two years. I got it from this oh, college yeah. campus right near my house. Anyway, yeah. hand me that brush. I'm going to dig up some bones. Right, there's yeah. No, there's never that wild card. Yeah, in my experience, there hasn't been that person. <laughs> but, you know, I think, um, I think that's part of why I went into paleontology and um, integrative biology because um, I didn't, because I sensed that these were, going to be at least for the most part these were going to be people whom i would enjoy working with like mm-hmm. it's been a nice community so far that's cool yeah it, I, when i think of the community i, I th- the things that 
you must like unearth things, look at them and just have a pretty decent guess right off the bat. Is that pretty common in the community? Like pick things over and be like, that's a deer bone. That's five years old. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And then dig further. Maybe you get real deep in there and then do you uncover, do you have a vague idea of almost everything and how much digging do you do? I got a lot of questions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So your first question (laughs) in that batch, I think um, was something like, oh, uh, if you have like, if you, pick up something from the ground do you have a pretty good idea of what it is um, no matter what it might be Mm -hmm. um so if it's a dinosaur bone i probably wouldn't know what it is even if it's like a full one oh if it's a okay (laughs) if it's a full one i would probably just laying there on the ground yeah yeah if it were like intact Mm -hmm. which would be miraculous (laughs) (laughs) yeah my impression is that um just a lot of you know dinosaur bones are just well fossils in general um, a lot of them are fragmentary. And so if it's something, if it's a, yeah, if it's mostly intact, then I'd probably be, be like, um, oh, that's a thigh bone from something. I don't know what that something is right now, but I can tell that it's a thigh bone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if it's a mammal. Your favorite. Yeah, my favorite. Um, the odds get better. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, if it's something like a, if it's a jaw fragment or something from the something else from the head, um, so mostly I've studied head stuff. So I would, you know, I'd have a reasonable chance of identifying like, okay, that is maybe not down to deer, but something like, okay, that's a carnivore or that's an herbivore. Um, because if you're looking at teeth, the teeth of those two um, look very different, like herbivores. Um, their teeth tend to be flat with grinding ridges, which makes sense because they're grinding vegetation mm-hmm. um, and chewing a lot. Like think of a cow, right? I was just thinking that I spent a lot right. of time around cows and kind of that <laughs> circular sort of, yes. it's not even necessarily an up and down chew. Mm-hmm. It's more like I'm coming around and yeah. grinding, coming yep. around and grinding. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't describe it any better than you just <laughs> did. That's great. Whereas with carnivores, it's, you know, shearing. So it's like scissors just two planes slicing against each other and so um carnivore teeth are very um they are very sharp and um yeah they look like knives um if you look at at where they they touch each other um, when people think of carnivore teeth maybe they think of like a saber tooth or certainly like the canine but you're like well if i grab that or had it on a necklace it looks cool uh but maybe it's the other back teeth that are a little more like you could take that and like Mm -hmm. cut some fabric with it Mm -hmm. like that sort of shearing Mm -hmm. yep that sort of shearing yeah yeah it's almost like shark sort of sharpness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know how well a saber tooth would be able to cut fabric (laughs) <laughs> but could they I've heard many things that the saber tooth if those were just for show mm-hmm. like like uh, oh, they weren't yeah. necessarily used mm-hmm. for anything other than like oh look at that mm-hmm. male and how long they are mm-hmm. but they, they couldn't actually they couldn't see well enough to like yeah. strike down and actually impale something with them is there any yeah. truth to that I don't know about that because if it were um, so I think you're think um, you're you know uh, you're talking about like sexual dimorphism, right? Like, oh, to impress the female yeah, or yeah. whatever, or yeah. or conversely, females impressing the males or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that would be interesting, but you know, <laughs> both males and females have the saber teeth. Yeah, and so it so, probably was. Um, yeah, so that's that's part of the reason that we think therefore um, therefore actual feeding and hunting and killing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so as an undergrad, and this has been um, corroborated in other studies as well. But as an undergrad, um, I was on this class project. Um, this was one of the things that got me into paleontology. Um, so, I um, worked in college. I worked um, in class on a project to uh, uh, using um, specimens from the Labrea tarpits here, but they were stored in the bell tower at UC Berkeley. And Whoa. so, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like, um, the, and the bell tower is some distance away from the biology building. And so um, my classmates and I would, like, take a rolly cart up to the bell tower and, like, roll back some bones. And it was pretty cool. Um, I liked that. But anyway. What part- did the, were there just undergrads walking along and you just <laughs> this cart full of skulls yep, and stuff? Yep. I mean, we were supervised. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not yeah. in like pelican cases or even no. just, here you go. There's some bones. Bring them yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we tried to, you know, we would try, we were instructed to try to stabilize them with like styrofoam or other things. But for the most part, yeah, like not in pelican cases or otter boxes or anything. Wow. Yeah, but, you know, like, they would be pretty well stored in, like, wooden crates and whatnot in the bell tower. And so um, when transporting them, it would just be temporary. But, yeah, so part of why, or I did that project to, um, the objective of that project was to look at um, locomotion of saber-toothed cat and dire wolf, um, so these extinct um, large mammals, and to compare them to... uh, to extant mammals, so like modern mammals that we still have today. And so for that study that, you know, it's not published, like we just did it for a class project, but that was my introduction into um, the field of biomechanics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what me and my group found, um, the saber tooth was supposedly climbing. Really? Yeah, and so uh, and we deduced that from the shape of their um, of their wrist bones and you know the like this wrist attachment. Yeah. So um, when I'm thinking of you guys studying this, mm-hmm. ideally you yeah. have wires and things that represent tendons, and you have a full mm-hmm. skeletal structure, mm-hmm. and then you're just playing with it. Like, ideally, right, you move the leg, but yeah. you're doing computer mock-ups or um, you're just examining the. Yeah. So we were we were measuring using um we were taking linear measurements like using. And we were also using this technique called geometric morphometrics, um, (laughs) which involves taking a picture of a bone, like a two-dimensional picture, right? And then um, you uh, open the picture on your computer in this program. Um, I think we use TPS Dig. That's the name of the program that we used. And um, you put landmarks on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, oh, the top right corner or the bottom left, like, um, you know, bottom left tip of this process that attaches to something and then in that way the landmarks record the shape of the bone yeah and the thing with bone is that the shape of it tends to reflect its function so it's like this form function thing and so um earlier when you when we were you and i were talking about your bikes Mm -hmm. i liked that you said something like oh a bike has a it, it has a really one-to-one thing between form and function. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so similar to fossils. Mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. And so um, using that technique, geometric morphometrics, um, we, you know, uh, quantified the shape, these fossil bones, and then compared them to the shape of modern bones cool. um, of animals that, um, that climb, etc. So I'm thinking of, and I, I can picture this bone, and I... 
I want to say it's maybe the bottom of a femur mm-hmm. that kind of looks like knuckles mm-hmm. and rounded. Am mm-hmm. I way off here? But like it's the grooves where like the tendons would go yeah. or ligaments, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing that and you go, okay, this must, there must have been some rocking motion here. This bone yeah. must have facilitated mm-hmm. this or. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that we looked at. Um, we focused on, um, yeah, that, that is one of the things that we looked at. But then I think in the saber tooth, we didn't find anything special with that, like, because that's the knee joint, I think, that you're talking about, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, the bottom of the femur. So the funky thing that we found was in the wrist bones, and um, our results indicated that the saber tooth was, was cl- you know, quote-unquote climbing, which we doubted, because it is a big cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, give yeah. me, like, a, is it like a Shetland pony? Is it like 500 pounds? Bengal um, tiger size? Length? What are we dealing yeah, with? Yeah, it's a slightly, I would say slightly smaller than Bengal tiger, but it's stocky. Okay. So it's, you know, it's just dense. Nice. Yeah, it's musc- this muscular cat that pounced. And so, um, yeah, so, you know, our group thought about this and, um, and we reasoned that, well, the same movements that you might need when you're climbing a tree, you probably would also do if you were, quote unquote, climbing a ground sloth, like a giant ground sloth and wrestling with a giant ground sloth to get it down to the ground for the kill with your saber teeth. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of the things in evolution that... You know, like an adaptation thing where like, oh, this is a mutation. This is an accident. Mm -hmm. And then the first saber tooth that found out like, hey, everyone, do your wrists do this? (laughs) (laughs) And everyone's like, there's no way we can tackle that sloth. Like, let me give it a try. I have these wrists. (laughs) Right. Like, what was the first animal that realized that it could do this? Yeah. And how is that behavior transmitted? You know, generation after generation of saber tooths, right? Yeah. We we do that all the time in our stories where like Mm -hmm. the lowliest, this person couldn't be the hero. And then they race in there because of their one particular skill or Mm -hmm. abnormality that no one else has mm-hmm. they save the day yeah. everyone wants to have sex with them because right and now their genes proliferate everywhere right yeah and that was the saber tooth yeah this is like a marvel movie the saber tooth <laughs> <laughs> how has it not been right but they would focus so much on the t- the tusks or the, they would, the canines and yeah. not enough on those wrists right but yes. us that are real big into the comic books yeah. we'd know yeah well it's the wrists <laughs> The secret is in the wrists. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, that makes me think about other saber tooths. So um, California, we have our our saber tooth, our state fossil. That's um, Smilodon fatalis. But that's what that we... sounded like. <laughs> like you were just saying, oh, our our fossil is smiled on, Fate Alice. Mm-hmm. Like her, like she smiled on, and her name is Fate Alice. <laughs> but you you were saying more of like a. Like a Latin thing? Yes. Smiled on Fatalis. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So Smiled on Fatalis is the California saber tooth's um, scientific name. Um, but that's only one saber tooth. We have had several other, other saber tooths in our evolutionary history. Cool. So we had Nimravids, um, which are cat like. That sounds like animals. a word that you're saying backwards. Right. Nimravids. <laughs> Nimravids. <laughs> Derimvud. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Uh, probably not accurate, but <laughs> yeah, good enough effort. Yeah. Someone grab that audio and play it back, and we'll test it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, um, you said sorry, cat-like mammal. Yeah, yeah. So um, nimravids. Um, so you know how cats are felids, all the of the family Felidae. Now nimravids are of the family Nimravidae, and they're not. They are also they're cat-like. 
It just sounds but, like Nimrods. Right. Like, These are your idiot cats. <laughs> <laughs> These are the ones that went extinct yeah. running into rocks and yep, things. Yep. I mean, they, they are now extinct. But then again, so are saber tooth. Yeah. You know, California saber tooth. But these are so. more, what size would you say Nimravids would um, be? I would say they were smaller. Yeah, so they're more, um, at least the ones I've seen have been um, the size of, like, bigger than a bobcat. But smaller than, say, like um, a mountain lion? Yeah, smaller than a mountain lion. Yeah, they were still pretty big for kind cats. Kind of an ideal pet size, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I that'd mean, be a fun cat mm-hmm. to have. Because do you think... They they get unruly and you need to put them in their place. You could do okay, not great. Uh, They'd maybe. probably still kill you. But yeah, I mean they still they still have those saber teeth. You yeah. Know? So I don't know. I think I would take a cat like a domestic cat with saber teeth <laughs> than a big. <laughs> So you, with your ability with biology mm-hmm. and and cell um, uh-huh. knowledge. Theoretically, could splice a little of that if you find, like mm-hmm. Jurassic Park style, you find a little bit of yeah. biological material, yeah. splice it into a house cat DNA, and start marketing <laughs> like a labradoodle little house cats oh, with saber tooth teeth. Oh man, that's something. Oh man, I think we that's just something. created a business model. Yeah, you know, I wonder because there are some, and this is going into the realm of science fiction now, but um, total yeah, speculation. I'd like just... to say it's still within <laughs> within some level of possibility. <laughs> but I was wondering because you know there are some experiments happening today with um, like people are trying to turn on teeth in chickens, right? Like. The argument is that, oh, there are these inactive or deactivated genes for teeth mm-hmm. in birds um, because ancestrally birds are dinosaurs and dinosaurs had teeth. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there are studies happening um, now or at least recently um, that are trying to turn on those genes. And so I wonder if, you know, like genetically, what's the basis of saber teeth? Yeah. Um, but the thing is the saber tooth cat is not closely related to our modern cats mm-hmm. like um that that lineage is just completely extinct so i wonder how far back it goes though i wonder if there's any genes yeah or saber toothness <laughs> <laughs> yeah where did their common ancestor exist right must have been somewhere along the line right, right? Yeah, yeah yeah another thing in that um and this was probably like one of those pop sort of links on the internet where like saber tooths would but I, it does make sense that like when i think of their jaw and how mm-hmm. far those teeth went past it when they yeah. open it all the way mm-hmm. would it would it still be able to get prey in the bite like how yeah. far would those jaws have to unhinge right so they open about 60 degrees i hope that number is right so it, they open quite a bit wider than most other mammal jaws and that's partly because um so the back of their jawbone, mm-hmm. um, so the, the back of the jawbone has three processes, has three projections. And one of those projections, the topmost one, in saber teeth, it's really reduced. Now, in any other mammal, that projection, um, if it's normal sized, it would, you know, get caught on like on it works something. as like a the back of a hinge to yeah, stop the door from opening yes. too far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in saber toothed cats, because that that projection is so short, it can just yeah, its jaw just opens a crazy amount. I love it. It's like a snake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Come, and then I bet because it opens so far they can't mm-hmm. really see. 
So they make oh, their mind up like, uh-huh. I'm going to bite you <laughs> and <laughs> release the jaws. And then they're coming yeah. at you, but maybe not totally clear as to like where they're headed to bite. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, I don't know of any studies off the top of my head that looks at, you know, that, that studies like or simulates a saber tooth's field of vision when its mouth is open. But yeah. that would be an interesting Oh, maybe study. I could come sit in on a class and ask that wearing yeah. a fake mustache get people working on it where <laughs> are their eyes great. situated are they kind of yeah. like horse-like and that they're kind of 50 50 oh they... um yeah so it's still front okay yeah. so yeah. most so, if not all predators have their eyes situated in the front and the saber tooth is no exception to that i think this bite theory might have some legitimate teeth (laughs) (laughs) when you think of stuff like first of all how are you enjoying this uh saison it's nice yeah i taste what they mentioned Mm -hmm. like the banana stuff and things Mm -hmm. like that in there a little bit yeah very summery Uh i'm really enjoying it it's unexpected from the dark color but yeah yeah i when i was shopping for different saisons uh the stout would come up weirdly a saison mm. stout and i thought mm. that just seems like you're making like a lager pale ale it, it yeah. seems crazy to me but yeah. this seems like mm. it's within that thing it's dark yeah. it has kind of a robust taste mm-hmm. but it's summery and light it's mm. delicious yeah wait so you said a lager pale ale thing i'm thinking of like a black lager which is also an unexpected summer beer at least for me Ooh, yeah yeah i could see that yeah i don't love lagers all that much every now and again yeah. i have one i don't uh, know i think i just associate it with like boring beer or something. <laughs> yeah thus the black lager <laughs> yeah i don't i also don't go for you know like default lagers but yeah Black loggers are interesting. Cool. I don't even know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever had one. When you get into this sort of stuff, and obviously peer review, your friends, everyone mm. very pragmatic, you have to be. But mm-hmm. And then you just go, guys, remember, this all started as a chain of accident after accident. Mm-hmm. But man, it sure seems fun to think about someone designing this and being like, ooh, I want to give that cat huge teeth. Right. Ah, I'm bored with them. Let's get yep. rid of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to make that sloth gigantic. Nah, yep, I'm yep. done with that. Yep. Do you talk about that at all? Is that like ridiculous? Do you mean like, do we speculate much? About- like if you said that and, and would someone go, oh, you're high. <laughs> oh, oh, shut up. What, what are you, seventh grade? Shut up. Or yeah. do you still entertain that and go, but why? Why uh-huh. did this gene stop? This is such yeah. a cool predator. Mm-hmm. This should still be proliferating. What's what right. stopped it? Yeah, I haven't um, entertained that in my own work. But, you know, like sometimes like over beers with paleontologists or whatever, um, yeah, sometimes that does come up. Nice. Yeah, like, and you know, it's part of like, oh, testing new hypotheses and whatnot. Like, um, most recently, um, I heard about, um, you know, someone I was on a trip with, you know, there were just beers around a campfire, and um, someone told me about their theory for this smil- for Smilodon's um, uh, saber teeth. Mm-hmm. So again, bike reference. So this person had gotten cut on, um, or, you know, on his gears once, uh, yeah. like just the side of his gears, mm-hmm. and that gave him an idea for how Smilodon could have used its sabers. Um, you know, maybe not like front on, full on stabbing, ah. but like the side of it. Ding ding. Yeah, yeah. that kind of. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah, just like the side of its skull. That would or look so funny. It really would look funny. strong side neck muscles. <laughs> right. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know right now how to test that. Maybe we would look at the you know the strength of the side neck muscles. Um, but as far as I know, that's an open hypothesis for yeah. someone to test. 
Now, because you study mammals, mm-hmm. and theoretically the saber tooth would have hunted smaller mammals, mm-hmm. that would take a one in a bazillion yeah. chance. But say you found one that had two distinct sort of dents mm-hmm. or f- skull fractures or something yeah. like this is it. This yeah. is what happened. Sabretooth used the old side swipe and oh, sprocketed man. them. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. So the Sabretooth, it could have hunted small mammals, but because of how big it is, it probably hunted large mammals. Oh, I like that. Everything yeah. now hunts down for the most part. Right. Yeah. Bears everything eat hunts fish, down. They yeah. eat deer. Mm-hmm. You don't see, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they don't really have prey. Yeah. But yeah, massive. I guess they could go after a giant like bull. Mm-hmm. bison or something like mm-hmm. that yeah gray wolves yeah mm-hmm. gray wolves still do um you know they with their especially with pack hunting oh yeah and i guess i've seen yeah lions climb onto hippos and elephants mm-hmm. that looks gross <laughs> <laughs> get off there <laughs> you look absurd yeah well i saw a, re- a video recently of a like two lions trying to bring a hippo down or something and the hippo just kept charging on yeah and like just you know <laughs> just whatever the lines just kind of fell off because the hippo just was just like i don't care like <laughs> i saw this and then a different animal came in and rescued the hippo oh what the heck was it something huh. yeah it was like hyenas going after it and then a lion Ooh. came i don't know there was something that mm-hmm. and then I, I saw one recently where mm-hmm. and this when you study mammals yeah this is what I'm fascinated by. The mm-hmm. it's, they get these great either drone or helicopter shot. I'm assuming mm-hmm. drone, and it's uh-huh. in the tundra. It's just yeah. endless white snow everywhere, yeah. and gray wolves. Mm-hmm. And the announcer's voice is so great. They've been reintroduced, <laughs> but people are what? And they've reformed their David packs. Attenborough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just the most like luscious, and you're just instantly kind of melted when you see it. But also kind of going like, oh no, mm-hmm. one of these buffaloes probably in yeah. trouble. Oh yeah. And they circle up, and they're all facing out. Mm-hmm. They're all safe as long as they don't move. Mm-hmm. But the wolves will circle. They'll peck. What they want them to do is panic and run. Uh, and then uh-huh. one of the small ones will hopefully fall back. Mm-hmm. So you're like, come on, buffalo, yep. don't you do it? Yep. And sure. Sure enough, you see one of them start taking off, then the rest yeah. follow. Then you see like three or four older ones just stand there like, mm-hmm. you sons of, you, mm-hmm. they're so mad at them. Mm-hmm. They, we know you don't run. Mm-hmm. How many times? So they take off running and they're just kind of loping. They're so yeah. big. They don't have to sprint. They're just yeah. kind of like, all right, I'm running out of uh-huh. anger. Uh-huh. The wolves lazily give chase. Like yeah. we got them. Mm-hmm. They're just loping along. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough the one at the back end the, mm-hmm. the four older guys take off but they yeah. the wolves have chased after a small one that's kind of like in the back half or the back of the first group that left mm-hmm. they grab it they're on it mm-hmm. and you're like oh no it mm-hmm. shakes one off it keeps running yep. another one jumps on it shakes mm-hmm. it off keeps running but now there are two or three on it and then one of the old guys comes running by mm-hmm. and breezes past and it looks like it maybe yeah. tries to hook one of the wolves, but it mm-hmm. misses, and it mm-hmm. keeps going. Mm-hmm. doesn't hang out, just kind of keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Another one comes by, does the same thing. The third buffalo that comes by purposefully hits that buffalo and knocks it down. Oh, my goodness. And keeps running. Just like, look, you made your decision. Wait. You're our weak one. Get it over with. Oh, my gosh. I think I've seen this one. Have you seen <laughs> I think incredible. so, because I just remember, like... One buffalo, you know, the rearmost buffalo, like rear ending the buffalo below it, and it then looks that buffalo very goes purposeful. down. Yeah, yeah, it looks like I'm, I'm not trying like, to help what? you. <laughs> but it makes sense if you have that herd mentality of like, oh look, we're all goodness. in this together. But yeah. should someone have to go, mm-hmm. you, sacrifice yourself. The rest of us will be fine. Yeah. Do you see that a lot in mammals? Do you see the way that yeah. they're maybe find like a den or something that died? Can you um, discover those things? 
Yeah, I'm wondering what would fossilize for us to be able to discover that. I think um, there was volcanic stuff recently where it looked yeah. like protection, like, you know, oh, maybe is you have it cobs like, or something. Oh, okay. Is it an archaeological deposit or more paleo? I don't I'm, think I've heard of this I'm one. speaking too far out of, of the depths of what I, I just remember <laughs> being like, oh, this is crazy. They found this yeah. thing that looked like it was, yeah. Again, I can't I can't talk about yeah, <laughs> I yeah, don't yeah. know the spe- specifics, but it seemed like yeah. so when like they knew. cubs. Yeah, just like, oh, they've, oh, they're all wrapped in there. Like, you guys yeah. get in here. We're all going to die, but I got oh, you. Oh, my goodness. Cuddled up. Yeah, that sounds so rare. Okay, yeah. that doesn't. It's typically like you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. Or, or no, I mean, like the fossil evidence sounds so rare. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure, um, you know, like I hear about examples like that from um, my modern or you know living organism, living mammal, wildlife biologist friends, but mm-hmm. not so much in fossil mammals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you have, we have a little more beer left. Would you like to take cool. a break and keep chatting? Oh, sure. Great. Yeah, that would be awesome. Awesome. We'll hope to see you back here next week for a riveting part two. I really enjoyed our chat. Uh, part two, as as is kind of typical with the show, gets a little bit more philosophical as we imbibe more libations, imbibe the libs, as a lot of people say. And we really get into it all and talk more about dogs. I thoroughly enjoyed her as a guest. I hope you did as well. And go out and see if you can find some of that Ohana, the the Saison. It's fantastic. Okay. Uh, episode 150 uh, seemed to elicit a number of responses regarding cats. Seems like a lot of you have pretty, um, I would say they are reasonable thoughts, and they were across the board. Uh, there was there wasn't like a, a unified. We all think this about cats. It was every single part of the spectrum represented by people that were not necessarily passionate, but just voicing like a hey, here are my thoughts on cats. So perhaps we'll um, in the future. I, I mean, this episode getting into the saber tooth a little bit addresses cats, but perhaps in the future we can get more into your house cat type cats and really solve what's the best way to own them. If you have your cat indoors all the time, that's fine. If you enjoy that, that's great. If you have it outside all the time, also fine. And everywhere in between, people seem to have a lot of opinions on that. Uh, Some people who were doing one and and vowing, my next cat, I'm not doing this again, I'm doing a different way. So who knows? Maybe try all the ways and you'll have uh, lived a very involved and thrilling life examining cat behaviors and hopefully you'll publish it and people will once and for all have a final you know, decision on the best way to, to house a cat. Okay. Uh, thanks to Dan, who, as you know, recently lost his cat. So I hope you did reach out on Twitter, at Dan from Orange, and say hello to him. He's a nice fellow. And puts this show together from the goodness of his heart every week. This is now 151 weeks we've done this. So thanks to Dan. The theme song is by Rob Crow. And he's in a number of bands, as you well know, including Pinback, Goblin Cock, and this band. Probably, I don't want to say which one's a favorite or whatnot. It's like, I always hear people say that with their children. They can't pick one. But I really do like this Optagonally Yours. The story behind it is really fascinating with the the Optagon device. And it's like an analog version of GarageBand or something like that. It's a pretty fascinating tool. And they make all the sounds and the beats with that. You can read all about that. If you just search Optagonally Yours and this new album, 
so good. He kept telling me about it, how great it was. And I thought, maybe he's just connected to it, so he has a high estimation of it. But it turns out he's also able to remove himself and objectively uh, judge things. And man, it's really good. He was right on the money. This is such a good album. I hope you get it. And this song is uh, the first single released from it. So I thought I'd play it here, and hopefully you'll spread the word, because I think it's just terrific. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. This is called Hope in Your Eyes from Optagonally Yours. Someone will fall in the trail, carry. 